our topic today is not just simply about COVID-19, but what the heck happened? We're going to talk about Twitter files, censorship, and a story that, quite frankly, you'll never believe. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense, and innovation. It's urban. It's rural. It's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. Well, I'm very excited to have today with us two preeminent scientists in the world, quite frankly, in public health. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is a professor at Stanford University Medical School. He's a physician, epidemiologist. He's also a health economist and also a public health policy expert focusing on infectious diseases and vulnerable populations. And then we have Dr. Martin Koldorf. He's a professor of medicine at Harvard. He's a biostatistician and epidemiologist with expertise in detecting and monitoring infectious disease outbreaks and vaccine safety evaluations. And if that was not enough, he's also a senior fellow at the Brownstone Institute. And quite frankly, they're also not only smart, but they're also my friends. So I'm delighted to welcome them here today. Thank you, David. So good to be here. I would like to introduce this next clip. This clip is in the House of Representatives where Congresswoman Nancy Mace, and I believe she's from the state of South Carolina, is frankly grilling former Twitter executives about their censorship of very important health information that matters to all of us. Apparently the views of a Stanford doctor are disinformation to you people. I, along with many Americans, have long-term effects from COVID. Not only was I a long hauler, but I have effects from the vaccine. It wasn't the first shot, but it was the second shot that I now developed asthma that has never gone away since I had the second shot. Um, I have tremors in my left hand, and I have the occasional heart pain that no doctor can explain, and I've had a battery of tests. I find it extremely alarming Twitter's unfettered censorship spread into medical fields and affected millions of Americans by suppressing expert opinions from doctors and censoring those who disagree with the CDC. So my first question this morning of Ms. Gaddy, may I ask of you, where did you go to medical school? I did not go to medical school. I'm sorry? I did not go to medical school. That's what I thought. Why do you think you or anyone else at Twitter had the medical expertise to censor a doctor's expert opinion? Our policies regarding COVID were designed to protect individuals. We were seeing- You guys censored Harvard-educated doctors, Stanford-educated doctors, doctors that are educated in the best places in the world, and you silenced those voices. I have another tweet by someone with a following of a full 18,000 followers. This person put a chart from the CDC on Twitter. It's the CDC's own data, so it's accurate by your standards. And you all labeled this as misleading. You're not a doctor, right, Ms. Gaddy? No, I'm not. Okay. What makes you think you or anyone else of Twitter have the medical expertise to censor actual, accurate CDC data? I'm not familiar with these particular situations. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. But this is what Twitter did. They labeled this as inaccurate. It is the government's own data. 
it's ridiculous that we're even having to have this conversation today. It's not just about the laptop. This is about medical advice that expert doctors were trying to give Americans because social media companies like Twitter were silencing their voices. Okay, that clip is so powerful at so many levels. First of all, I should just tell you that Congresswoman deserves a, a medal for her approach with those former Twitter executives. And it's, it's almost comical in a dark way that they're talking about two physicians, namely you, Jay, and namely you, Martin. Um, they talked not only about the Stanford uh, physician, uh, Dr. Jay Bettacherry yourself, but also it was funny in the background. I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a a sheet of, of communications that's going on that is from you, Dr. Martin Koldorf. So when you see that clip, what do you say? What what goes through your mind? Well, that clip was from a tweet that was censored where I said that uh, uh, it's important to vaccinate older, high-risk people, but uh, if you have had COVID, you don't need a vaccine, and if you're young, you don't need it. So uh, that's accurate information, and it's pretty astonishing that uh, uh, somebody who knows nothing about public health decides what to censor or what not to censor. Yeah, it's, it's frankly uh, gobsmacking. And whether, it, I mean, the government was uh, pushing uh, the social media companies to do censoring on their behalf. But even if that wasn't the case, it's still bad for social media to, to, uh, to censor because that kills. It kills exactly. people. Exactly. They were actively censoring. What about you, Jay? I mean, I, I completely agree with Martin. Uh, the West has prided itself forever on um, on the uh, on our uh, our fundamental value of, that that we support the free exchange of ideas. Um, this wasn't a, a conversation about this. wasn't you know uh, things that probably ought to be left off of social media. It wasn't child porn. It wasn't violent threats. What it was was a legitimate scientific discussion, a legitimate public health discussion by professionals in the field taking place in public on social media. And social media companies, Twitter, Facebook, Google, Reddit, you name it, took, took sides. They decided, based on no real argument, just simply raw power, that, that, that we, we, we were saying dangerous things, even though what we were saying was rooted in the scientific evidence. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, Martin mentioned something very important. Um, the government played a tremendously important role in this social media censorship. I don't believe they did it on their own. I believe it was actually the result of, of direct orders from the federal government in the United States, from the U.S. federal government. I, and I know this because I'm, me, Martin, and I are involved in a case brought by the Missouri Attorney General's office against the Biden administration. Um, this case, we've uh, the judge has permitted us to depose Tony Fauci to, uh, to look in to read government email communications with Twitter, Facebook. Um, it is a shocking picture, David, of, of government officials, including as uh, in, within the, the high in, inside the Biden White House, effectively threatening uh, Facebook, all these like social media companies that if they didn't abide by the censorship demands, including lists of people to censor, ideas to censor, um, then they would lose their 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 sort of legal protection against uh, against you know uh, uh, you know being called a publisher, which would then would, would subject wow. to, to to legal threat. Um, I mean, it's it was basically a government propaganda campaign, and the censorship was a tremendously important part of that. And and the reason why it was done is because the government policy 
which was so draconian, so out of line with, the, with previous practice, required that the public think that there was a consensus, a scientific consensus in favor of it, when there actually wasn't. It was an exactly. illusion. The censorship was in service of creating an illusion of consensus that never existed. Well, I, I think so many people would be shocked to hear this. In fact, today, it's hard in many respects that many of the mainstream media don't even talk about this story. So in this situation, we have, why is this relevant to Canadians? I think it's directly relevant because so much of our information and news is driven out of social media out of the United States and also so many of the mainstream um, media in the United States drive so much of the narrative, not just in Canada, but frankly, around the world. So this kind of um, high degree of censorship is, is, is really gobsmacking, and it did not allow for a free and open discussion regarding basic facts and evidence that people to this day are struggling to find out about, like even natural immunity. It's, it's incredible. I should also point out, point out that in Canada, some 2,000 media outlets are funded by the federal government, and they have to sign agreements to cover certain issues in, in different ways, and, and that is incredibly um, undermining in terms of their ability to do, be journalists and not just simply carrying propaganda for the state. Am I, I mean, this is how I look at this now, and this is, for me, has been a very powerful revelation. Has that been... For you as well, uh, Jay and Martin. I think the media has failed, uh, not just in Canada, but uh, certainly in the U.S. and in Western Europe. Uh, uh, so that's for sure. In Canada, there's also been a, an, uh, a campaign against the medical doctors who told the truth about uh, this issue of the pandemic, uh, where they have been uh, threatened to uh, lose the medical license. One example is a very brave physician in uh, in Toronto named uh, Kulvinda Kaur. And uh, she's been very brave. She's, she's sort of talked about uh, focus protection and uh, tried to uh, 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 disseminate uh, accurate information about COVID and the pandemic. And they went after her medical license. So wow. that should never happen. That's uh, that's a very totalitarian, totalitarian uh, regime who does those things. Not exactly. Society. What about you, Jay? I mean, one thing that happened in Canada to, to us, uh, after we wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, David, uh, the CBC did this very scurrilous uh, roundtable featuring science, some scientists who disagreed with us, uh, but, the, but who, dis, who essentially uh, mischaracterized our proposal. They, they, mis, they said that we wanted to let the virus rip and we wanted to kill people effectively on, 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 on CBC. Um, the, there was a lawyer that we uh, that uh, contacted us that helped us file a complaint to the ombudsman of the CBC, who effectively said it was fair. We didn't didn't deserve a response. Uh, I was never contacted by the CBC to be on there and to re reply. Martin wasn't, nor, neither was Sunetra Gupta. Um, essentially, the Canadian people was fed a propaganda point. The idea that the lockdowns were the only way, that it was standard science, and that anyone else disagreeing with them was, was dangerous pseudoscientists or fringe epidemiologists, if you will, to coin a term. Um, the, the, um, uh, the, 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 the media essentially propped up the government narrative, even though the government narrative was not rooted in the scientific data. Yeah, no, it, it's truly 
outrageous what's happened. So I think we, we want to challenge our fellow citizens, no matter where they are in the United States or in Canada, to really take a critical view of the information that's been given them and not fall for, quite frankly, uh, as you say, just mimicking a narrative that was utterly false. So speaking of narrative, one of the, the points of information had to do with the origins of COVID-19. Um, I remember specifically having debates with persons saying that it was all a, quote, conspiracy theory to think that somehow this virus, one of the options that was viable at the time was that it came from a, a lab, laboratory, a class four lab in Wuhan, China, of all places. And that, in fact, it, no, it came from a, um, a wet market uh, from some type of um, uh, bat soup or something like that. But now we have the receipts. We have information, report after report, not just simply from the Department of U.S. Energy, but from the FBI of all places, including the Central Intelligence Agency, where the virus came from. But it's almost like they are reluctant admissions of a fact that has been well established now for quite some time. So is that important information? And what does that tell you, um, Martin? Um, what do, is that significant as another point of information that we know now to be correct in terms of the origins of the virus? Uh, obviously, it's a very important question, uh, uh, both for prevention of future pandemic, but also in terms of the reputation of the scientific community. If there were scientists responsible for this, that uh, doesn't reflect very well on the on scientists. Uh, now, I'm an epidemiologist and a biostatistician, a public health scientist, so I... I don't have the expertise to judge the the whether where the virus came from, uh, and I I need to sort of focus on those areas that where where I have some knowledge, so I can't uh, opine on that. But uh, that's also an example where the discussion about it was censored. Uh, it was uh, sweeped under the rug, and that should not never happen. Exactly. So, what do you think, Jay? I mean, I, I think there are scientists on both sides that are debating whether it came from a lab or, or was natural origin. I have to say, in looking at the debate, uh, I, um, what, what, I, what I notice is the same pattern that happened with lockdowns. Uh, the, there, there's, a, there's a central sort of narrative with well-funded government scientists funding, funding um, virologists who worked on uh, on ex what I think is probably dangerous experiments to augment the the capacities of viruses like um, the SARS virus, the, the, and um, the, they're the ones who are saying that that it's a, it was obviously a natural origin, and for a year almost or longer they use the media to make create this idea that if you thought it was a lab leak, it was a conspiracy. You can look at documents from the earliest days of the pandemic where the head of the National Institute of Health, Francis Collins, and Tony Fauci are writing to each other. And uh, when the suggestion comes up that it might have been a lab leak, and in fact that the United States government may have may have actually supported the lab that where the leak likely happened, if it happened, then um, they work to cover that idea up. They, they, they use their muscle inside the scientific literature to create this idea that it's it's established but beyond all, any reasonable doubt that it was natural origin they essentially created again an illusion of consensus around a scientific point that where there was no no consensus um it's the same exact dynamic they use with the lockdowns 
they they use their raw power to uh, to to wrangle the scientific community, to wrangle the media, to wrangle even the government itself in in support of a, a maybe a false narrative. So it's it, it's really quite ironic that you have senior people in these positions of government authority, frankly, undermining the scientific process in the sense that science should be about seeking truth, should be uh, keeping open-minded uh, about options and analysis, and, and seeking, again, the truth for, for the benefit of society. But instead, they were doing that. They were trying to push a specific narrative. Is that right, uh, Martin? Uh, I think that's right. And that's very troublesome. Uh, it goes against the whole principle of science. Uh, and if we don't uh, change that, we will have seen the end of the Age of Enlightenment after about 500 years. Exactly. So uh, I, uh, I, blame, uh, I blame the scientific leaders a lot because uh, I don't blame regular citizens because they were fed one thing. So it's not strange that they believed that lockdowns would work, that there were consensus, even though there wasn't. So I don't blame regular citizens for, for what happened. I do blame leading scientists who, who uh, uh, shut down the debates and who pushed their uh, narrative. And it's very strange because Francis Collins and uh, Anthony Fauci in, US, in the US, they are both uh, lab scientists. They don't know much about public health, but they were the one who was leading the public health response, uh, even though they don't know much about it. Uh, I also blame uh, journalists because it's the job of journalists to actually do inquire and try to find uh, different viewpoints and uh, expose them and uh, critically evaluate them. And of course, it's also responsibility of politicians to listen to everybody and then to uh, 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 see what makes more sense. Like during the Second World War, uh, uh, Churchill is famous for he had his generals there arguing with each other. What was the best approach? And that's what that's what uh, uh, Trump and Biden and Trudeau should have been doing. They should have gotten in people with different views, different public health science with different views, and then hear them out and have them argue with each other. You know, it's almost like there's a perfect storm here. We have institution after institution that didn't seem to be doing their job, asking, as you say, what those critical questions were, um, you know, having that kind of uh, fulsome debate uh, in a respectful way, but that would actually, um, frankly, it, it seemed like so many people weren't doing their job. It wasn't just, you know, universities or public health officials or politicians uh, people seem to be afraid. So how did this just happen overnight, Jay? I, I mean, I think uh, the the key element, if I had to pick one, is fear. Um, and the you know, like it's we're we're as humans built to fear infectious diseases. It's like built into our our, our like lizard brain almost. Now, what happened during the pandemic was that governments used that built-in psychological aversion, this fear of, of pathogens, and amplified it, right? The messaging from, the, from government after government was that COVID was a unique threat mm -hmm. to every single person equally. The governments used this fear. Public health used this fear. In, and, and why did they do it? Part, I mean, what, they, what they will say is that they used it because they wanted everyone to take the virus seriously. But in fact, what the per, the end end goal the end the end point was essentially compliance with the orders that the public health was giving. I, th I think that that's 
if I had to peg the cardinal sin of public health, because I mean, it, from my view, um, I had thought that public health had said had, had eschewed those kinds of te techniques that you would never ever engage in fear mongering, in creating divisions between people to, to essentially to label other others as unclean. Never yeah, seen this before. I've never seen it before. Have you? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you could point to the early days of HIV, maybe, uh, where, where there was some, st there, there was stigmatization of, of people. I mean, there was a lot of stigmatization of people in the population. Uh, public health actually played some role in that, but like work to finally work to counter it. Um, uh, but I think in here, you, public health played a tremendously destructive role. Like we, the, we, public health spread the idea that other humans were, were biohazards and we need to, av to avoid the biohazard if we wanted to live. That is a tremendous, for civilizations, it's tremendously destructive to have that idea at large. So, Martin, if we looked at this situation, how do we prevent this from ever happening again? Are there basic advice and recommendations that you would have so that we do not experience this again as a, as a, as a Canadian society, indeed a world? I think it's important that the public at large realizes and understands that this was the biggest public health fiasco in history. I don't trust that the politicians or the public health uh, officials or the media is not going to do the same mistake again. Uh, what did change things uh, eventually during this pandemic was the public, the truckers in Canada, but not just the truckers, many others as well. Uh, that's what's uh, uh, changed uh, the whole narrative and uh, so I think that's what we have to rely on the public to uh, where there is sanity, where there is common wow. sense and who actually understands that uh, national immunity exists. If you've had measles, you don't get measles again. If you've had COVID, uh, you might get it again, but it won't be uh, uh, in a serious manner. And we've known that for two and a half thousand years and the public still knows it, but the public health establishment forgot about it for three years and they are sort of now slowly waking up from uh, their dream of ignorance. Wow, well said, Martin. And it's fascinating you said something very interesting. And I, I don't know if our, our, our viewers would know this, but you are originally from Sweden. You live in the United States. You're a prominent health official. And you said something very interesting. You said that the, the truckers' convoy in Canada made a difference. It was impossible to ignore. And they were scientifically correct, while the public health officials were not. They were following the science. Yes, they are not only following the roads, they're also following the science. So this is quite an irony, as our prime minister emphasized this time and time again, we're trying to follow the science, even though they introduced a mandate on a population, namely independent truckers who did not move about. They were isolated in their cabs. Generally, most of the time, there wasn't any scientific evidence that we're still not aware of that would justify such a uh, divisive type of mandate that would threaten their their livelihoods. So this is quite interesting. Is the trackers are both smart, but also very well educated. And I can imagine why, because they sit there in the tracks all day and they listen to podcasts or other things. Uh, so I think they are very well informed about what's going on in the world. Wow, what a great insight. How would you respond to, uh, what advice would you have for us, Jay, as we work to try to get on the path of healing and not and prevent this from happening again. 
I mean, David, every institution failed. I, I was involved with a couple of, of major court cases in Canada. Um, and it was frankly shocking to see uh, like how difficult it was for even high j justices to to look at the uh, scientific evidence squarely when even when it contradicted government policy and, gov and government scientists, even when the, sci the government scientists were just wrong on the facts. Now, you wouldn't normally think of courts as a place where uh, where like basic fundamental rights would be protected, right? So basic civil rights, basic right to travel within the, within one's own country would be protected. Um, the right to, to to hold religious ceremonies that are important for for your for your life, um, the the right to to speak, and yet courts in Canada fail to do that over and over and over again. Um, the 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 Canadian and this I just should, shouldn't just say Canada that happened in the United States happened all over the world. Um, the 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 uh, the uh, uh, the media failed. Right, they didn't ask basic questions. The scientists and public health authorities failed. The government failed to to respect the 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 basic rights. You know, take the truckers. The leaders of that trucker movement had their bank accounts seized for the crime of holding a protest. How is that consistent consistent with living in a free society? Um, I, I think Canada has a tough road ahead, David, and I don't know how to repair all of it. I don't think anybody does, but I do think that we have to keep speaking out um, and hold fast to the, the scientific truths, the, the truths we have about, 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 um, about civil liberties, the truths we know about uh, pandemic management uh, and public health, all of that, we have to keep saying over and over again until there is reform so that we can get back to uh, our, 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 our great civilization um, we can't let the Enlightenment end. I mean, that's essentially what I mean, Martin says. That it, just, it sends chills up and down my spine. The, the Enlightenment is 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 the basis for um, for so much of our civilization. And if we are now in a, a in an age where essentially we can let biological risks trans, uh, overturn every single com commitment we have to each other, um, I think it's a very very dangerous time. Well said, Dr. J. Bhattacharya and Dr. Martin Koldorf. Thank you so much for being with us today in this far-reaching conversation about lessons learned from COVID-19. We thank you so much for your courage and your commitment to the truth. And as we work, walk on this journey together, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having thank us. So that brings to a close our discussion today about COVID-19. We're so glad that you could join us and be sure to continue to keep in touch with The Frontier, please uh, subscribe to our newsletter and check out our website at www.fcpp.org for more information. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.